Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and we're going to be looking at the book of John, or the Gospel of John, or the Gospel of the Beloved, or the Gospel of the Disciple who Jesus Christ loved, and all these names are applied to it, and it's a very interesting book compared to the other first three Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels that uh, we've already gone through the book of Matthew. And Matthew is, Mark seems to be the kind of the template of those three books. Uh, of course, Matthew has a few things that Luke and, and Mark don't have, and Luke has a few things that they don't have, and you put them all together and you start getting pieces of the puzzle. And that's one of the reasons why we're looking at the Gospels. That's one of the reasons the Gospels were written, is to allow you to see the pieces of the puzzle. Why separate ones? Uh, I mentioned uh, James Tabor, who uh, will probably come up again and again because of the fact that he's written a lot of stuff that is misleading. And uh, we're going to try to clear away those puzzles that don't belong, or those pieces of the puzzle that don't belong in the puzzle of Christ. And of course, the Gospel of John talks about probably more than any of the other Gospels or any of the other places in the Bible that we we see. It It talks about this thing called the Logos, which we talked about in earlier shows that we've already done on this subject. But the Logos is right reason. It is divine will. It is the opinion of God. And if God is God, his opinion is reality. And so when... People like Pontius Pilate ask the question, what is truth? Uh, Pontius Pilate wanting to know, everybody wanting to know what is truth. I mean, you turn on the TV and watch the news and and you look at your news feed because you supposedly want to know the truth. But the truth is a lot of us don't want to know the truth, which is why the truth seems to be so evasive at times. And so the question will arise, can you handle the truth? And the truth is something that you can't just hand somebody. You know, you write down the truth in a book and you hand it to them and they read the book and they don't see the words that they're reading the same way you intended them when you wrote them. And of course, this is the story of the Bible. The Bible was written by men who were, according to what people think about the Bible is written by people who are inspired by God. But of course, we're all supposed to be inspired by God. We're all supposed to be walking with God. We're supposed to be living in the Spirit and connecting with this thing that is called the Logos, this right reason, that only comes from God. In in the original text, it, it supposedly came from the tree of life. That told us how to live in the world. And God walked with men who were eating of the tree of life, but when we started eating of the tree of knowledge, then we started hiding from God. 
We didn't want to see ourselves in the light of God. And when light was put there at the tree of life, we fled it. (laughs) We've been fleeing it ever since. And some people are turning around their thinking and going back and saying, okay, I want to know the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And, you know, I'm on that journey. A lot of you are on that journey. Some of you are still running from the light. But one of the great damning things about those who are running from the light is they want to think they're already in the light, that they already know. And like the scarecrow, people give them diplomas. And those diplomas suggest that they're wise. And that wisdom is wise in their own eyes. And of course, when we did Ecclesiastes and went through that, we saw a lot of the references to people who think they are wise in their own eyes. And the fact is, is that if God does reveal some truth to us, This spiritual force that created all the universe made life so abundant on this planet out there in space that uh, just is an absolute miracle everywhere you look. Because everywhere we look out there in space, we don't see what we see all around us right here. And so we're trying to find out what, why is this life so abundant here? And seems to be so absent out there. Are, are we really all alone? Well, of course, the Bible tells us that we're not alone. It says there, there are angels and there are fallen angels and there, there, the, you know, whatever these angels, you know, when I say these words, and again, we're back to words, if I say a word like angels, Maybe you conjure up a picture of somebody with wings and maybe long hair, maybe armor, maybe cloaked in white garments. You know, I don't know what you're thinking when I say words like that. I don't know what you're thinking when I say words like religion. Because if if we were all practicing pure religion, if all the people out there who think they're born again, that they're saved, that they're Christians, that they're followers of Christ, were actually practicing pure religion, all the other problems that we see going on in the world when we're out there looking for the truth and looking in the news and looking in our news feeds, all those other problems would begin to diminish and disappear. It kind of reminds me. I was in an apartment in in Florida years ago. I was 18 years old, and I had been living on board a sailboat and sailing around the the uh, Caribbean. And uh, we decided to sell the boat, and we were selling it there in Miami. I, I took this apartment that was really cheap. And it allowed me to park the boat out in front of the apartment <laughs> on a huge trailer. It was a sailboat. and uh, But the apartment was absolutely infested with cockroaches. And I didn't realize it because when we came in, the lights were all on. But it wasn't very long after we got in there that we realized we had a lot of non-paying renters <laughs> in the apartment. And you would turn on the light and they would all scamper. 
for a cover because they hated the light. And the problem is, is that Americans are living in darkness. And the cockroaches are accumulating. They've been breeding madly. <laughs> they're, they're everywhere and they come out in the dark. And you want to battle them. Like we tried to battle them, but hitting them with our shoes and throwing shoes at them. <laughs> and, uh, it was, it was, it was futile. There were, there were way more of them than us. And, um, Mostly that are reprieved from this, the cockroaches that lived there. People down there were just living with it. Uh, the, we saw houses that were covered with plastic and then they would fumigate the houses and it would supposedly kill all the cockroaches and when it actually, the reason they covered them with plastic is because when they started fumigating the house, all those cockroaches were going to try to escape to the house next door. <laughs> They, they were going to migrate. You're going to see this forced migration coming out of this plastic-covered house, and they found a way out, and they would find their way into the next house. And they would infest that. And then they would save up their money, and they would fumigate their house. <laughs> and then by that time, they would all run back into the original house. <laughs> and they were just everywhere. And when I was out on the Everglades, I saw the same cockroaches. They were little tiny cockroaches. They weren't very big. You never saw the big ones out there on the Everglades. And we saw a lot of insects. I mean, more than I've ever seen anywhere. But the cockroaches were little out there. But in the cities where they they could thrive eating cereal boxes, not even the cereal, just the boxes they could thrive eating. <laughs> They were numerous. And of course, when I look out in the world today, I kind of see the same thing going on. People are infested with cockroaches, and some people are trying to get rid of the cockroaches. Some of them are just trying to send them over to their neighbor's house. and and But some of them just live with them. And some of the people take on the characteristics of the cockroaches. <laughs> and, and what do you do about all well, that's actually what's going on today in the world. And the amazing thing is the solution is turn on the light. If you turn on the light, they flee. They just go away. But a lot of people aren't comfortable with the light. And uh, they can't sleep when it's light. They have to turn off the lights and all this stuff. I, I, I guess you could have got one of those little masks that people wear over their eyes so that you don't see the light when you're sleeping. And you can get good rest because it's supposedly dark. And you just leave the lights on all the time. I don't think that would really work. I think that when things got quiet, the cockroaches would come out again anyway. But they do hate the light. They did flee the light. And unfortunately, the whole nation, the whole world, is filled with cockroaches. And cockroaches are kind of a almost a parasite. They don't, they don't necessarily live you know, in you like parasites. And I heard an interesting word. I guess I've heard it before, but everything I had know, I probably had to learn a couple times. And uh, I think it's uh, parasitoid. And uh, it's, it's a parasite that actually kills its host. It's part of its reproductive process. It wants to kill its host. And I heard that from Brett Weinstein, who just did a, 
uh, podcast with Tucker Carlson. Somebody called me up last night and suggested. I had just listened to the podcast of Tucker Carlson before that, which was with Russell Brand, who is having his own personal awakening. And uh, Tucker Carlson has seen some things. And Brett Weinstein, who I've followed for a long time. And even though he's a very smart man, there seems to be some things he's not willing to look at. And the same with, with the others that I just mentioned. And of course, what I see is in the Gospel of John, they look at that thing that all these other guys don't want to look at. But I know a lot of people who read the Gospel of John and, and they don't see it. And that's one of the amazing things about the Bible, why there were parables in the Bible. Why the, you know, the Old Testament is cloaked so much in metaphors. Is, it is written so you, you can easily misinterpret it. You can miss it. That you, you have to have the, the divine Holy Spirit writing upon your heart and upon your mind in order to hear what these ancient authors were trying to tell us. And and it's very easy to get distracted. You know, I've, I've read this week, I've read an awful lot of uh, theologians, uh, psychologists, um, economists. Uh, some of them are both psychologists and economists. I've listened to the, some of their YouTubes and uh, read some of their lectures and... Uh, they say amazing things. Even the foolish ones say amazing things because, you know, it's kind of been my fascination to to not only seek the truth, but seek why people can't see the truth. Why, why the delusion, the strong delusion that we're told in the Bible is going to be sent to us by God. How come that has such power over people? And is there something they need to turn away from? Something they maybe need to do? Something they may, you know, like right today, a vast number of people in America are dying of obesity. I mean, far more than COVID. And most of the people who died of COVID, other than, you know, they had it was very clear that they had what they called two or three other morbidities. Well, one of the most common other morbidities was they were overweight. And um, it was interesting that, you know, I, I listened to, in order to, I just got too tired before I got everything else done <laughs> that I couldn't listen to Brett. So I got up early this morning and let listened to Brett. But it was Brett Weinstein with Tucker Carlson and so I had to play it at more than its regular speed in order to get it all done before the show. <laughs> and, and, you know, I've got lots of notes on it, and, and we'll talk about a lot of the things that he discovered. He actually went down to South America to see the migration of people coming, you know, up through the, the, uh, this, this pathway to America, because, and, and they come for all sorts of different reasons. They're coming to this pathway of America, 
and, and uh, he refers to them as sleepwalker, uh, uh, sleepwalkers, yeah, sleepwalkers. But uh, they're coming up uh, to what he calls the, the Darien Gap. And actually, if you if you read in uh, other languages what they call the Darien Gap, they actually call it the Darien Plug. Uh, we translate that into the Darien Gap, which is this geographical area that's full of jungles, very difficult to tra- traverse. The Panamanian Highway de- doesn't actually go through there. Through, with any kind of actual road or trail, although they're talking about building one. But we have literally millions of people crossing through there, and, and he explains why, and we won't go into all that. But they're migrating like those cockroaches, getting over from one location that is toxic and trying to move to another location which they think is not toxic. Meanwhile, we can show you that for the last 100 years, the same thing that made all these other nations toxic, that they're fleeing from, has been going on in America, making America toxic. Which is why they talk about 60% of Americans will have serious forms of diabetes and obesity, uh, in, in the next, well, already half of Americans are having problem with, you know, insulin resistance and everything, which is pre-diabetes. And the, then immediately after that interview with Tucker Carlson came on another one where they're talking about a solution that's being uh, foisted on Americans. Callie Means was the guy who was being interviewed. And he's talking about Ozempic, which is being used and spread all over through modern medicine and advocated by everybody from uh, the double ACP, NACP, but double NACP is uh, promoting this drug, which is a killer. It's it's going to be. The people manufacturing in Europe won't, they're not selling it in Europe. They're selling it in America. Like every form of toxicity seems to be coming to America and being introduced into our food supply. And there's a solution to this. And if we were actually following what John is talking about, the solution would be right before us. We would already have the infrastructure of the solution in our society. But instead, we have become addicted to a church that was designed to tickle the ears of the people and make them feel good. And, and you know, as we go through this, and a lot of this I'll have to do in the afternoon show because we want to get to uh, some of John. We've gone through the first three chapters, and I'm ready to go into chapter four. But I've added so much to our notes and footnotes on chapters 1, 2, and 3, and even as to the source of the gospel. You know, some of the scholars talk about the vocabulary, grammar, and style uh, make it, that we find in John, make it doubtful that the book could have been put into its present form by the same person. 
Because there are different chapters. Chapter 21. There are sections of chapters. And uh, that seem to be written by somebody else. And then slipped in there. Now there's a very logical reason why some of that would be in there. I'm not questioning the the source of the Gospel of John. I'm saying that there were a variety of sources. And of course we know the Gospel of John came out of what they call the Johannian Society. And the Johannian Society was a Christian society. It's a name that we've kind of put on it. It was a community. And it had... Uh, you know, when letters, early Christian letters were circulating, of course, you have to realize that Christianity wasn't isolated little churches like it is today or even a series of denominations. But it was a vast network of people who were following Christ who were absolutely dependent upon one another, but not dependent upon the Roman government or the Roman government buildings such as the temples of Rome that provided free bread and welfare and and law enforcement and everything. I just heard on the news while we were waiting for the show to start where there, there are conservatives trying to get bills passed to make drugs illegal again in America, at least in Oregon. And uh, to, because they think that the solution is to make drugs illegal. And certainly they can do that if they want. But it's like saying that the solution to the border problem is that we need to build a wall. No, that isn't the solution. No, if you want to build a wall, I'm I'm fine if you want to go do that. But if you want to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that will create a wall of light between you and the cockroaches of the universe. (laughs) Because this principle of cockroaches is everywhere. And uh, the the principle of parasites are everywhere. It's a, the concept. You know, you you look at creation and you say, we have a page at preparing you on parasites, which I could just expand on and expand on because parasites are an amazing phenomena found in creation, where parasites will actually infest somebody, infest their brain. And cause them to think differently. The the parasite itself will cause you to think differently. And I, not even complex parasites. That they they will they will get into the brain of their victim and then lead that victim and put it in with their young so that their young will feed <laughs> on that. And, and they'll do it actually to cockroaches. I think I have an example up there where cockroaches become the victim of a parasitical insect that affects its brain and allows it to still be alive and deposits it with the eggs so that when its young hatches out, they will feed on the live cockroach. <laughs> Amazing. Now, did God invent all that? Did God create that? God created choice in the garden. He created the tree of knowledge and the tree of life. We, we were to have the tree of knowledge. It just wasn't supposed to be the source of our life. The tree of life was the source. But today, the tree of knowledge has become our source. And somebody is manipulating the knowledge 
in the way that we perceive the knowledge. And unfortunately, it's a parasitical spirit. And so, when we see nature, we will see ourselves. We'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. There's a lot of things going on in the news, and I, and we're going to end up talking about it between this show and the next. And uh, and uh, the solution is is also what we're going to be talking about. I don't want to tear down your delusions without giving you something to replace them, which, of course, is the truth. And the truth is there in the Gospel of John. It's in the Bible. But a lot of people are having a lot of trouble finding out what the truth is and uh, and relating to that truth in a way that is comprehensible and functioning. Because without the truth, you're going to be a slave to the parasitical spirits that are pervasive throughout the world today. You do, You do not want to be subject to that spirit of of the parasite, of those that live off of the life of others. That is not the spirit that God gave us, to live off the life of others, to, to steal away that life that is in others, to drink their blood, the cities of blood. We have an article on the cities of blood, which are mentioned in numerous different ways throughout the Old Testament. And that we were not to build a city of blood. And I, I don't know how many theologians I've talked to over the years that, who, who've read these verses about the city of blood and have not a clue in their minds as to what a city of blood is. They, they just are oblivious to it. And you ask them, they don't know. But it's the same thing with, you know, when Jesus mentions the weightier matters. If you, if all the people who say they were Christians were we're tending to the weightier matters that Christ talked about. There would not be the cities of blood. They they could not exist. They would not exist. But because we've been cunningly coerced into believing a lie, that everywhere we go, and so the people that are fleeing the cities of blood overseas and all the you know Venezuela has become a city of blood. Uh, and you can go read the article if you want to know why I keep using that phrase and what that means. But even Christians were warned early on, be careful. You do not bite one another, lest you be devoured. And of course, that's what's happening. Is that people have been biting one another for a long time. And I mentioned in the first quarter part of the show where they're trying to make a law against illegal drugs or what used to be illegal drugs and now are legalized and they're trying to get this into place. And, you know, I think it's great if they want to pursue that because I believe in liberty, but it's not going to be a solution. Uh, In order to make that law effective, you're going to have to empower police to Bust into people's houses and arrest them for dealing in drugs. 
We've tried that before. We've tried it with alcohol. We've tried... That isn't the solution. The, I, I saw a recent hearing uh, late at night. I stayed up. Actually, I ended up staying up just virtually all night. And finally went to bed when I normally get up. And um, then got up shortly after that. <laughs> but uh, the uh, it was a hearing about how we have to make the Internet safe. And they got numerous bills. I haven't read them yet. And I'm really getting tired of reading bills. Uh, I leave that to the younger generations who read them and then come back and report to me. But I don't have to read them. I know what they're up to. They're, they're going to supposedly make the Internet safe. The government's going to bring in rules to make the Internet safe. Because these parents are losing their children. Because they don't know how to protect their children from the Internet. They don't know how to protect their children. Of course, they haven't been raising their children. They weren't raised by their parents. Now, obviously, we can go look at single-parent families and, and people who are completely abandoned by both parents. And Yeah, that's pervasive in society today. Unheard of, like we said, in the Teuton society, at once in Germany. But today in Germany, that's not the case. That children aren't precious. The next generation is not your... Precious to the people. What's precious to the people is their government and their social welfare checks. That's what, you know, their pensions. That's what, they haven't raised children to run their factories and their, their industries that they built up in Germany. They don't have enough children to run them. Which is why their government is importing other people. But with those other people come not only diseases, but ideas, which is one of the greatest diseases, is false ideas. And false, bad cultures are coming in and they're trying to, well, how do we fix this? Well, they've already gone down a road that they have burned the bridges behind them. They don't know how to raise their children anymore. Oh, they want to think they do. You know, which is why some of these, you know, like, you know, Holland is considered one of the happiest countries in the world. So, some people say this, depending on how you do the survey. But they consume more antidepressants than almost any other country per capita. <laughs> they have of a great deal of suicide. In a country where nobody can have a gun, they're still finding ways of killing themselves at a phenomenal rate. And some of the lifestyles that they've assumed in these countries are killing themselves too. So, what what is the real solution? Again, I have to go back to the Gospel of John that is telling us. And, you know, like I said, it, it, to our original article on John, before you began the different chapters, I've added a great deal about the source of John and the fact that, yeah, the vocabulary, grammar, and style clearly is telling us through the phraseology that we find in there that it wasn't written by the same guy. That all the different sections weren't written by the same guy. But, as I said, this was written, supposedly came out of the Johannian society, and so they had access to all kinds of things that people were writing. Many people 
There were a lot of miracles going on then. A lot of people had this power of healing. We see people had this power of insight into what was coming in the future and were warning people within their network. And then then when people were caught off guard during the dirt that rolled through the Roman Empire and Christians sent aid, that's what that's what Paul's doing. He's sending aid, shiploads of aid. And he can do it, and we've explained how the laws work, that because they were a church recognized by Rome, sealed in the blood of Jesus Christ, they could pass through the borders unmolested, legally, by the decrees of Caesar, at least at first. And then finally, even though the the Pharisees were still trying to stop the Christians, the momentum uh, after Pentecost, they couldn't stop them. And a lot of them tried to join them. Like we see with this Ananias and his wife. They were going to become a member of the ministry of the church. They weren't just joining the church. There there was, other than baptism, there there was no need to sell all your property and and, and give it to the apostles in order to become a part of the church, you know, a part of the network of Christianity, the community of Christianity. There was a baptism. That baptism at first got you kicked out of the social welfare system of the Pharisees, which was making the word of God to none effect, which, of course, many of you who listen regularly know that that was the Corbin of the Pharisees, the sacrifice that the Pharisees had instituted to the city of blood that Herod was setting up through a system of registration and guaranteed welfare from the government. A welfare that Paul talks about later. Quoting David, it says, what should have been for your welfare became a snare. What Herod and the Pharisees set up was a snare. And if you signed up for that system, you became a part of the city of blood set up by Herod. The civil system of social welfare that was a snare and a trap. That's what it says in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. But it didn't only trap you legally, where now you had to obey the decrees of Herod. But it it trapped you mentally. It, it literally degenerated your ability to think Clearly, And, of course, thinking clearly was to receive the logos of the divine will of God. The logos, the right reason of God. You would still think. And when you would hear the truth, you would, you would react to it. But if you lived in darkness, you would hate the truth. Because with the truth comes light. And so you would hate the light. And that, it tells you in John that if you're born again, you won't hate the light. You won't hate the truth. You'll be willing to see the truth. You'll embrace the truth. But uh, we're still being warned in like First Corinthians 15.33, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. What evil communications? False. And, and this is what we're going to go through. We're going to look at it. numerous people. Probably won't get to it till the afternoon show. 
They're out there teaching your children in universities. That That's one of the things that Brett Weinstein was talking about. I mean, he used to work in universities. And then he was cast out. And he was surprised, like, why are they casting me out? I'm I'm on their side. I'm a, I'm a liberal. I'm a Democrat. I'm not bigoted. But there was something Brett didn't see. And and maybe there was something he was beginning to see. And they didn't want him around anymore. They seemed to be unreasonable. I remember, you know, I'm, I live in Oregon. And so when a lot of these things were happening to him, I know people that live right around the corner from him. <laughs> so... Uh, the, his his dilemma is that he doesn't want to see the whole truth. And he, I can hear him still when he's talking with Tucker Carlson. And they're trying, I can't figure out what are they doing. But he's starting to have all these pieces of the puzzle. And he's putting them together more and more. And, and he sees that what they're doing is malevolent, destructive, but he can't quite see exactly what it is that they're doing. Because he can't quite see what he is doing or not doing. Because it's the same thing. You know, there, there are those who are actively doing evil. And those that are allowing evil to prevail. They're accepting evil ideas into their mind. But just like those poor cockroaches that get stung by this wasp and can no longer think for themselves and can be led around by the wasp and inserted to feed the children. I think it was a wasp. It might have been a spider. I think there's a spider and a wasp that do the same thing. Yeah, there is there is a wasp that does the same thing. But that their children will hatch out and devour the cockroach. Because the cockroach's brain has been neutralized. And it doesn't know it. it it's just doing whatever it's told. <laughs> and maybe it was some cockroaches it didn't take as well. And the cockroach starts thinking, i got to get out of here. I'm in trouble. But that's what Christ was telling people is what you needed to know, what you needed to understand. And I see this in the Gospel of John. There's a uniformity in the Gospel of John. And what it appears is that there were, you know, in those days, the idea of writing out a whole book and putting it in a bookstore was not very practical. So what, and you'll find, they talk about the Q Gospels, which are like, who wrote the Q Gospels? Well, hundreds of people wrote them. The Q Gospels are these little chunks, sayings of Jesus. And little, sometimes they put several sayings together and put it in a little paragraph form, like a story or a couple of paragraphs. Enough to get onto one letter, one sheet of paper. And they would mail it off with a personal letter. And then people would save that because they said, well, what he wrote here, this is good. This is the truth. This is inspired. It came from this guy and it came from that guy. And they all knew each other. They were all talking back and forth. And they were still going to feasts and 
and communicating. Of course, when the dirts came through, ministers would come with supplies and they would also bring them news. If you, you see the, the ships sailing about in the 1700s and 1600s and 1800s, that's, that's how you got mail from England to America. Is you would give a packet of mail to the ship's captain, and when he would get there, he would give it to somebody else, and they would say, "Oh, well, this letter's got to go to." And they knew each other; they were networking. And I found I've talked about it before when Romans were occupying parts of Great Britain. We have some of the letters that they sent home still in existence, and you can read them. And the letter is asking for things to be shipped from Rome on the next available ship to this officer stationed in Great Britain. And he's asking for fishing tackle because the fishing is really great in Great Britain. (laughs) Now he's asking for other things. He actually is asking for underwear. He wanted more underwear, (laughs) which is probably made from linen. Maybe they didn't have that kind of linen cloth so much in England. But these are, but in that, they're also talking about, you know, things that they understood or discovered or, or were thinking or about the, the impressed with what they were learning from the Brits that Rome had been forgetting for the last hundred or two hundred years. And some of them were very objective. Some of Paul's relatives were living in Great Britain at that time. Uh, Some of his relatives by marriage were from Great Britain, like we've talked about, Claudia. So there was a lot of communication going on, and a lot of this was floating through this large Christian community called the Johannian Society or Johannian Community. And so when whoever was compiling this Gospel of John, would the idea that they would just take something that somebody else wrote and slip it in, they're not going to be, con- they're not going to get charged with plagiarism. They're Christians. That what they're recopying is, it's like you reposting something on Facebook or reposting something in Twitter or X. You know, this guy wrote this. This is good. I like this. I'm going to repost it. And that's why you see a variety of authors in the book of John. But if we're real Christians and we believe that somebody can actually be inspired by the Holy Spirit, then the book of John could be inspired by one author, which is the Holy Spirit, which is the tree of life, which is... The Logos, which is right reason, which is the opinion of God. So all of that is in this same book that was maybe copied over by one hand, but he took pieces from here and pieces from there. But how do you know what's true? Well, you're trusting the translators for one thing, which I think is not a really good idea, but... Uh, most important is to trust the Holy Spirit in you. So how do we get the Holy Spirit into us and make sure that what is coming into us is not the spirit of parasites? Or there's other 
spirits out there other than the parasitical spirit. There's, you know, anybody who's taking a bite out of one another, that's somewhat of a parasite. And, of course, if you do that, you will become devoured. And, you know, that's that's been around for since the beginning of time. Since, since the beginning that God breathed life into earth. You know, I mean, Adam did wrong and used the woman that God gave him to blame it on. <laughs> it's not my fault, it's the woman's fault. No, it was your fault. And so we have to get back to a place where we're beginning to see that. But as we continue to realize that there is a spiritual author of the Bible that can actually have an effect on the translators themselves, ultimately that spirit must be present in the heart and mind of the reader or else the reader will distort the truth. And so in order to do that, what in order to not make the word of God to none effect, we have to have a sacrifice that is not like the sacrifice of the Pharisees, the Corban of the Pharisees. Again, Corban means sacrifice. And Corban comes from a word that means to draw near. So if you want to draw near the Holy Spirit, you need to have a sacrifice that is the antithesis of the sacrifice of the Pharisees, which was the social welfare system set up by Herod the Great, where you got baptized by the ministers sent out by Herod the Great, the civil ministers, often many of them being Pharisees, that baptized you, registered you with the temple so that you could get what should have been for your welfare. But according to David and Paul, was actually a snare and a trap. Because not only did it trap you legally into his system, which Jesus would take away from them and appoint to his little flock. But it wouldn't operate like the system of Herod. It would operate like a system of righteousness. But in order to operate, it needed people who were willing to attend to what Jesus called the weightier matters. So it was a government being formed inside of a government that was inside of the Roman Empire. And that government was called the Kingdom of God. It's where God ruled over the hearts and minds of the people. And not the spirit of parasites or the spirit of tyranny or despotism. It's where people took back the responsibility for their children, for their spouses, for their family. Which was an institu- which was an institution of God, but they also took back the responsibility of pure religion, how they were going to care for their neighbor, and not only their neighbor, but people on the other side of the Roman Empire. You know, they're living in Jerusalem, but they're actually caring about the people of Galatia or the people of Corinth 
or the people of Syria or the people of Ephesus. And they're casting their bread upon the waters. They're actually, they're actually putting supplies on board ships and sending it to those other places. But, of course, all these people had something in common. They had heard the gospel of Jesus from people who actually understood the gospel of Jesus. They were not in the business of tickling people's ears because they were hated. Jesus said, you know, they hated me. We see this in Matthew. We see it in John. That the people who were in charge of the government of Judea at that particular time were plotting to kill Jesus because of his doctrines. But they couldn't do it until Jesus allowed it to take place. Because they they could not lay hands on him. They couldn't even look at him. They stood far off. Remember where they talked about that? Even with John. They stood far off. They didn't come near him. They didn't know why they had to stand so far. Well, couldn't they just walk up to him? No. They're cockroaches. They can't get near the light. They have to go and plot in the dark. How are we going to do this? Well, the whole world is suffering from these, this same spirit. And, uh, and we see people trying to escape that and come to America. And this is one of the things that crossed my mind as I was, as I was listening to Brett Weinstein. Is that he's talking about all these people from all these different countries coming for all these different reasons. And I thought, well, of course, everybody's got to be here. Because this, this is going to be the staging ground of some major events that have been prophesied for thousands of years. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So in John 1, we saw that in the beginning was the Logos, the Word. It wasn't the Greek word for for word, Remus, or Rima, or Remos, but uh, it was the word Logos, which doesn't just mean word. It means right reason. It means reason. Uh, it's translated that way in many places. So in the beginning, there was this right reason, this divine will. And the Logos was with God. The divine will was of God. And eventually, Christ comes along and we say the Word was made flesh. The Logos was made flesh. So the the doctrines of Jesus are going to manifest this right reason. And so we can break it down into the very simple statements and directives that Jesus, the Christ, Jesus, the King, was saying. You know, it's not those who say, Lord, Lord, but those who do is the will of the Father. That That's a doctrine of Jesus Christ. He never changed that. And neither did Paul. And neither did James. You know, if we go back and read like uh, Matthew 12.35, a good man out of a good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure... Bringeth forth evil things. Well, there seems to be a lot of evil in the world today. So, the idea, do we need to create a police force 
supported by taking a bite out of our neighbor. <laughs> you know, we're going to force our neighbor to contribute to the salaries of the police force to restrict people from getting the drugs they think they want or they think they need. We're creating a beast in society. Now, I know a lot of good cops. I have a grandson who's a sheriff. And so I'm not against them. I'm I'm showing you, if you're seeking the kingdom, you will be seeking the righteousness of God. But why can't people see that going to look to the government, you know, it says, you know, I've quoted the head of the government in England at one time says, as long as you look to government, solve your problems, you'll always suffer tyranny. I mean, Ronald Reagan said similar things. But here we have supposed conservatives saying, oh, we need to make a law against taking fentanyl. <laughs> well, or other drugs. I guess it's probably already against the law to take fentanyl. Now, well, we need to add more drugs onto this that they don't take. You give them the power to decide that. And they will be breaking in to health food stores to keep people from getting dietary supplements that you're not getting in your food. <laughs> because they've, you, you're, you want to exercise authority one over the other. You, you can't do that. If you want to be free, you have to set your neighbors free. And start taking responsibility for yourself. Does that mean I think all drugs should be legal? I don't think all drugs should be taken. <laughs> and see, you know, it's like people wanting to outlaw abortion. It's fine if you want to do that. Make it difficult to open up an abortion clinic. Okay, fine. Go do that. But you're not addressing the problem. You're, the problem is, is that people want to have abortions. People want to get drunk. People want to take drugs. People want to hide from the truth and the light and the way. And one of the biggest drugs they take now is the modern church. It drugs you with music and false doctrines and distorting what Jesus said. And saying that, oh no, you don't have to do the will of the Father, like Jesus said. Not those who say, but those who do it the will of the Father. You have churches out there saying, no, you don't have to do the will of the Father. You just have to say you believe with your lips. It's not what Paul said. Now, you can find a little verse and you can put that out there and say that that's what he said. But that's not what he said. He said, if you're doing this and you're doing this and you're doing this and you're doing this and you're doing this. He says this in several places. Big, long list. You have no inheritance in the kingdom. As a matter of fact, we shouldn't even have anything to do with you. Somebody called us up the other day and wanted to know if we were still selling whole milk. Right now the cow is dried up. We're going to breed the cow again. We don't have one cow on here that we can actually milk. I, I've tried to milk a few of the range cows, but that's usually a mistake. <laughs> that was somebody else's idea. But, uh, I mean, you could do it. And actually, I've been breeding the few cows that we have to Teratesa bulls. And Teratesas originally was a high-altitude breed in France. 
that was not like your modern dairy cows, but it produced extra milk, so you could take a little bit of milk and still have more than enough for the calf. And that, that's kind of a homesteader's cow. You know, it, it doesn't require constant alfalfa and grain and all these things, but it will produce a little little milk for you and plenty of milk for its calf. And so you can you can make cheese, <laughs> which is good protein. But he was trying to find it, and I says, "Well, you know, there's all kinds in Oregon. You can you, you can produce a, a, and a, you know, like cheese home settings for some reason. You know, all the the liberals wanted to have that, and they got that in. But we can find other parts of the country where people who are producing good wholesome foods on farms." are getting raided by SWAT teams, taken to jail. Their business is being destroyed. But a lot of people in that community, they're going to church. They're saved because they believe in Jesus. They're not attending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. But eventually, they may not have food. And they'll, they'll, they'll be looking to the government. So we have to we have to see the big picture. We have to see that the Christian community was thousands of people spread all over the Roman Empire that were looking to one another through charity to provide for the needy. They were creating their own economy. They were still in the world. They were still part of the economy of the world. I'm sure a lot of the tents that Paul and Priscilla and Aquila were making could be sold to anybody. But a lot of them went to the people that were, you know, the 14,000 people that were cast out of Rome. They couldn't stay in Rome anymore. Claudius said, no, they we're just going to get rid of them. Some of them were supposedly Jews. But with them, a lot of Romans went. That's why there was a whole community of Christians that were Romans in Rome. They weren't cast out, but a lot of the Jews who became Christian were cast out of Rome. And they needed, they needed tents. And they couldn't go to the government and say, we need tents, you know. We're homeless now. It was a huge homeless problem for Christians coming out of Rome. But Christians were already building a system to provide for the needy of their society within the society of Rome. They were a peculiar people. They were doing something different. They weren't just singing in their churches. They were practicing pure religion. Religion, again, is how you take care of the needy of your society. You know, I just added to our page on Patrick Henry. Patrick Henry had a problem with churches and religions and wrote a lot of things to churches. And actually, when he was a lawyer, somebody somebody had just written that uh, Patrick Henry died alone and uh, rejected by most of the people. And they wrote this on... Uh, I think it was probably uh, X, you know, Twitter. And I thought it might have been on Facebook. But anyway, I I, I couldn't leave that go. <laughs> I thought, like, 
where do you guys get this history that you're, you know, President Adams had just asked Patrick Henry in 1799 to become an ambassador to France, an envoy to France. And he turned it down because he wanted to spend more time with his family and he wouldn't be able to do that if he did that. And so, uh, George Washington was begging uh, Patrick Henry to run for political office legislature in 1799 also. And Henry finally gave in and he ran uh, as a delegate from Charlotte County. You've heard of Charlotte in the <laughs> county in March of uh, 1799. And, and he immediately won. Uh, but there was no schedule. The government wasn't meddling in everybody's life, so it didn't have to meet quite so often. So he went back home to Red Hill. He had a property at Red Hill. And there he got sick and he died by June 6, 1799 with his family. He wasn't alone. He wasn't unpopular because of his ideas. This is supposedly a patriotic group spreading these ridiculous... Where are you even getting this in history? He, did he own slaves? Yeah. Well, did he try to end slavery? Yeah. But he couldn't... He couldn't give away the slaves. He couldn't free the slaves. He couldn't sell the slaves. Actually, he could, but if he was in debt. And this is the same problem Jefferson had. Both he and Jefferson were trying to end slavery, but it was illegal to free your slaves in many of these states. And if you had any debt. He had debt. Why did he have debt? Well, one of the reasons was he was, you know, constantly giving up his life to help other people. And he was extremely popular for some of the things. One of the things he did was he, uh, during, there was a drought, you know, climate change back then. We called them droughts in those days. They, a lot of people were suffering from that. They were, they were unable to, you know, the, their products that they were growing, they were having trouble meeting their bills. And so there was a legislation called the Two Penny Act. And Anglican, clergy petitioned the king to overrule this two-penny act, which gave, it's kind of like a bankruptcy act where it gave some reprieve. If you owed money, they they couldn't come in and confiscate it. They, they gave you a period of time to get your things organized, like have another season where there wasn't a drought in order to pay these amounts. And so Patrick Henry took the case to the courts. Oh, what? He was one of the attorneys that were representing the people that were defending the Two Penny Act. And Henry deemed any king who had annulled a good law that protected the people from abuse by people who should know better as a tyrant who forfeits all rights. This is a direct quote. Forfeits all rights to his subject obedience. And the clergy, by challenging an impartial law designed to bring economic relief temporarily, had shown themselves to be, quote, enemies of the community. He's talking about Anglican clergy who were bringing this case. The opposing counsel accused Henry by that statement of treason. But Henry Fearless continued, uh, you know, before the judge and, and who did nothing to stop it. 
Now, admittedly, the judge was Patrick Henry's dad. <laughs> but uh, the fact is, is, the case wasn't decided by... The most interesting thing is the case wasn't decided by the judge. It was decided by the jury. Who overruled the king? <laughs> they said, no, no, we're not going to overrule the Penny Act. But the Penny Act would still be there. And they could come back again and try to force the people in, in another forum to force the people to pay. But what happened was that the jury awarded. They decided fact and law. They decided this wasn't fair. And they awarded the Parsons one penny a piece. <laughs> that was the, I don't even know if it was a piece. That, that was the settlement, one penny. So they couldn't bring the case back because it was decided that they get a penny. They got a penny. If they, if they take the penny, it's a done deal. They can't bring it back. But people today don't even understand that a jury had the right to decide fact and law. And people are seeing the corruption in, in Oregon government. They, they had a, uh, an opportunity. We wrote articles about it in advance. And, and people I know who think they're Christians, think they're born again, think that they're fighting for justice, didn't do anything about it. And they were completely bamboozled and deceived. And then they just went from one deception to the next. Because they're not practicing the Corbin of Christ. They're still practicing the Corbin of Herod. And so they can't see. They can't see the truth. And so as we go through John, and we look at these different things like the logos, we have to understand that's right reason. I had people who think they're Christians. When I pointed out that 75% or more of the people holding public office in Oregon were in violation of the law and violation of the Constitution of Oregon. So much so that they, they were already there holding the position was already void. You didn't have to obey any of the rules that they were passing, any of the laws they were passing, because they were in the office illegally. And they could not run for that office again. Unfortunately, when they began to read this and I began to show them, they realized that, wait a minute, it wasn't just going to be Democrats that were going to have to step down. But there were Republicans who were guilty of the same violation. Article 2, Section 22. And they said, well, we don't want to, we don't want to bring this up. Because we don't want to lose our guys. But their guys are the same ones who are voting for forced vaccinations. Now, fortunately, that didn't pass in Oregon. And you'd be surprised why. Because <laughs> they had that before COVID even began. That was already coming. This is a long time coming. And the question is, who is really behind it? And many of the people that are a part of these things that we see unfolding, the you know, breakdown of the borders, the breakdown, you know, where they're, they're pushing uh, drugs that are legal, they're going to kill more people than the drugs that are illegal. But they want to make the drugs that are illegal, illegal again, or were illegal and now are illegal. They want to make them illegal again and create a, a stronger police force to stop them, which they can't do. 
don't realize that they're feeding the beast. They're feeding the idea that you're supposed to be regulating the lives of everybody else. Nature will regulate their lives. If you if you decide not to stay married, not to raise your children, not to take care of your neighbor through charity and love, you will go under despots. We've known this. It's it's repeated over and over again in the Bible. If your welfare is that that we find in the cities of blood, in Sumer, in Egypt, where the the contributions of the people are forced by the government to fill the granaries to provide for the welfare of Egyptians, including the Israelites. If you're going to create a system like that, you're going to be in the bondage of Egypt. And the Bible tells us over and over again, never to be entangled again in that bondage. Yet, in the New Testament, they're telling you that you will be. And you will be because you're not willing to listen to the Logos of Christ, which is spelled out in this, the testimony of John the Baptist that we see there in John 1. He, he's talking about taking care of one another through charity. A voice of one crying in the wilderness to take care of one another through charity. And he was implementing that system amongst those people who would receive his baptism. Today in modern Christian churches, you get baptized and they think that's important. And they baptize you with water and some of them argue, well, should we sprinkle or should we submerge? But all of those churches send men to the governments who exercise authority one over the other to take care of their social welfare. All of them. Almost none. Do contrary to that. And of course, that's why you're back in the bondage of Egypt. But when you're reading John, if you don't want to look at that, you'll say, no, 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 no. We just have to believe. We don't have to do the will of the Father, even though that's directly contrary to what we see Christ saying. And we'll see him say that kind of thing over and over again. And so, you know, last week we went to John 2. In the wedding of Canaan. And and we'd also, you know, when we went back and did Matthew, that I've added to our Matthew 1, uh, because I went back and I was actually reading the, the Peshtida. Because there were certain things that I was seeing, wait a minute, if you look over here at Luke, and you look at Matthew, seems th- things aren't kind of matching up, and there's a number of reasons for this. But somebody suggested that I look at the Peshtida. And I went and I saw, oh my gosh, it's right there. Now, a lot of people aren't going to want to go there. It's now in the footnotes back there with Matthew. But this wedding at Canaan that, you know, where there are these six water pots, these firkins, that were containing 150 to 200 gallons of water (laughs) that was turned to wine. And this is the second batch of wine for this little tiny village to at this wedding. You know, did they already consume 150 gallons of wine at this? This is a big event. All of Jesus' family is there and Mary's instructing people. Who got married? I cannot find out who got married. I have my suspicions. Who got married? And over the years I've tried to figure that out. But I think it's it could be important, but they don't include it in the text. 
But they have this old text of this wedding at Canaan, which is out of place. Because we go read the other Gospels, and when Jesus came out of the water, he went up and fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And was tempted by the devil. Here it sounds like, oh no, no, no. They got this other dialogue entered in here that no, just a few days afterwards he was going to a wedding and making wine. So which is it? Well, you have to look at John in its entirety, how it's written. There's chunks added in, maybe by the author, the original author. But he's taking these clips from other places. Because he goes right from the wedding to cleansing the temple. Well, according to the other Gospels, that's again out of order. That doesn't quite fit with the timeline. But that's not what he's concerned with. He's, he's concerned with understanding the Gospel, the Logos, and how things work. And people get lost in... And he talks about his house becoming a house of merchandise, emporia. That's the same basic word, you know, one's a verb, one's a noun, that we see that when Peter says that through covetous practices, you'll be made merchandise. So was the house merchandise because they were selling these animals? And we already talked about this, and we'll have the recordings up so you can go back and look at it. But I have put in links so you can go study what the money changers were. The other accounts of this story of the money changers, of casting them out. Who would have the right to do that? Who were the money changers? What was the problem? And uh, so, you know, I have a whole article on that. So even though we're going through John, you can go back in to the money changer article and find out how were the money changers... Becoming a house of merchandise. For the same reason that Peter says, through your covetous practices. They talk about the money changers and the guys who clip the coin. They take a percentage of what they produce. And we can read in Second Thessalonians about deceivableness. But we'll do that when we come back to Keys to the Kingdom after another little brief break. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, uh, we saw the liberty as sons of God mentioned there in verse 12 of John 1. And we can also read where Jesus is talking later on in John 5, which we'll get to, is verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, which of course is the Father, hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. And he goes on uh, saying that, for as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. And yet, when we come to verse 12, and, you know, bringing John together as one single book, But as many as received him, to them gave he power. And again, we talked about that word power. That's the one we see in Romans 13. To become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. 
his character, his way, the way. And so we have this promise that if we become like him, seek his ways, live like him. And uh, we see in verse 27 of John 5 that, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man. Okay, we're, we're seeing this word there where he is given authority. What, what do they mean by given authority there? Well, that's the same word again. It's translated authority instead of power. <laughs> and, and Jesus is saying that he's going to give that power to those who truly believe. But Jesus was setting up a system of faith, hope, and charity, not sending his people to men who exercise authority and to take a bite out of their neighbor to men, those men who do exercise authority in those governments of the world. And so if you're going to repent and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you have to do what Christ said. And he is telling you the way of the Father. And so if we're going through this and we're reading, you know, who are your money changers today? Who are the people running your temples today? Where are you, where are you going for the practice of your religion? Are you practicing public religion or pure religion or what? Because I don't see you practicing pure religion out there, most of the Christians. And so this is why we're, we're bringing all these things together because we see the darkness is pervasive throughout America. And people are out there seeing it coming now. They, they felt the oppression in America. And they're feeling it. All these other countries. Many of those people are escaping oppression. Now, one of the things that Brett points out is that he doesn't see families coming from China. <laughs> he sees young men, some women, but, you know, they have a lot of women in the army in China as well that are coming into this country and they seem to have enough money to pay for the tickets and there's infrastructure there. And much of that infrastructure is being paid for by your tax dollars to bring millions of people into the country. And, you know, I could go through all the conspiracy theories and everything, but you don't need to... And those many of those conspiracy theories are true, but you don't need them. What you need is the light entering into your life. So what is John telling us? What did John the Baptist tell us that brings the light into our life? That shows us the way and the truth and the light. And hath given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. So people are going to start waking up. Hopefully some of you are waking up now. And are not getting the false, you know, you're becoming awake to that uh, deceivableness that they talk about in Thessalonians. this All this deceivableness that is coming upon the people. What, what is that deceivableness? What, how are we being deceived? Well, 
you know, we've talked about the, the mountains of Samaria or the mountains of truth. Who are you going to for your truth? Who are you going to, to understand? In Second Thessalonians 2.10, it says, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. They go to church. But they don't really love the truth that you're not supposed to be taking a bite out of one another. You're not supposed to be coveting your neighbor's goods through the men who exercise authority one over the other. This is why there's a problem with public schools and public education. Yeah, a lot of them teach lies. They sexualize your children and people are all upset about that. And they want to take control over their school boards. And I'm fine with doing that. But eventually you're going to have to come to the realization you have to stop taking a bite out of your neighbor so that you can get free education. You, you may be, you maybe need to get on the school board to kind of clean up that for those people who are not waking up. But I know people who are public school teachers who would not send their own kids to public school. They take, teach them at home. They're, they're homeschoolers but they're public school teachers by day. <laughs> because they know that they, they can't change all the curriculum and all the influence that is there. And that they spare their children that. But it, it's there in that verse in Second Thessalonians 2, where in verse 11 he says, And for this cause God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And of course, coveting your neighbor's goods is unrighteousness. Which we we see other places where they talk about why, would, why was covetousness, if we go to Colossians, why was covetousness considered to be idolatry? Yeah, Colossians 3, 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. You can go to Ephesians 5, 5. For this ye know that no whoremongers nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So if you're coveting your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority, you're an idolater. And the churches you go to, they're the, the whore and or the daughters of the whore. And we see that even in 1 Corinthians 5.10, yet not altogether with the fornication of this world, this constitutional system of government, or with the covetous, or the extortioners, or with idolaters, which he says, we've already had to explain that. Idolaters are the ones who covet the benefits of the world, the temples of the world. The public religion of the world. So, ultimately, what this comes down to is it's not enough to study John. 
that we have to be diligent in this practice. And time is running out. The armies of evil are coming. But I'm not trying to put up a wall. The wall is the wall of righteousness, the wall of light, the wall of the logos. Because I know some of those people that are coming, they're allies of God. I've heard out of the mouth of some of those people coming into the country illegally, which sounds like the gospel. Raised Muslims, but they actually are seeing the problem. And you can't see the truth without the logos being written in their hearts. So I'm not going to try to exercise authority. Now, if you want to build the wall, that's up to you. But that is not your salvation. Electing another ruler to put in the place of Herod, <laughs> who was out for the destruction of the people, or, or a Hitler, or whoever, is not your salvation. It's to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In that First Corinthians 5.10, if you get on into verse 11, but now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater. Who is the idolaters? Those who go to the men who exercise authority to get the benefits that they want at the expense of their neighbor, which is covetous. Those are the idolaters. Or even the railers who, who I want my leader in there fixing things. Or those drunkards who are drunk on the benefits. You know, who are in there in the homeless camps using stacks of EBT cards and food stamp cards as money. (laughs) Uh, He says, with such a one do not eat. So it's not enough to say that I'm not on welfare. I'm not looking for the social welfare of society. We have to be seeking to create the community of Christians. If we're not going to be creating the, the, this community of Christians, this righteousness, and keeping the commandments of God. Because we see that in Mark 7, 9, that, and he said unto them, full well, Ye reject the commandment of God and ye may keep your own traditions. He's talking to the Pharisees. What are their traditions? Their statutes, their ordinances. Because they say, you know, and now they want to make new ordinances to outlaw all drugs. They don't realize that the police force that is going to be able to even pursue such a ridiculous adventure will be used to keep you from, you know, they won't let you have ivermectin. They, the vitamin D will become an illegal substance. <laughs> and if you were to get together with a community supported agriculture and produce your own food, they will consider the inventory of that food to be theirs. Because they all have one purse. They're already running towards death. You need to Turn around your whole thinking and go the other way and seek the righteousness of God. And so, you know, I'd already gone through John 3 
And we already have audios up on that page, John 3. Almost three hours of audios on there, going through John 3. Now I've gone through and added more footnotes. I actually went through and listened to those audios that we made quite a while ago. And basically everything is there, but I have added extra footnotes. This is all up preparing you. That where they talk about a bitter struggle for power between the temple and the palace, which is the church and the state, with the citizens taking the side of the temple. You know, I'm quoting about these conflicts uh, in our civilization. And of course, what FDR did was, he said that you don't go to church for your welfare anymore. You don't have to do that. You just go to the government. Of course, we were already starting to, that was already creeping into our thinking that that was okay. I could show you, and we do at preparing you to go read our article on Davy Crockett. That would be considered absolutely immoral to go to the government for any kind of social welfare in the 1800s. When anybody even suggested it for a good cause to use government funds to provide welfare for somebody who actually needed help. Somebody whose husband had provided services for this country and died in the process. They said, no, we, we can't do that. That's, she, she, she can't do that. And we had to turn away from that idea. And of course, that's where Sumer ended up going. Uh, we can show you the cuneiform writings that document the same process and other civilizations that eventually also declined and collapsed. And, and these the same civilizations had this idea of being born again. You see, when you enter into those systems, you're born again in those systems. And people make a big deal out of birth certificates. And of course, that drama played out in early Christianity. It became, that was one of the reasons why Marcus Aurelius was one of the worst persecutors of Christians. Although you read his writings, he sounds like a, one of those, uh, Anglican ministers that, that, uh, Patrick Henry was speaking against. He had, there were a lot of other quotes that I added onto that page where he was speaking against different churches and different ministers. Very devout man. A prophet in his own right. But uh, the, the fact is, is that this, uh, they were persecuted because Marcus Aurelius made it a law that you had to register the birth of your child within 30 days of the birth. And many Christians wouldn't do that because they understood that registration was so that you could become on those rolls as receivers of benefits. And with that, there was a snare and a trap. And they didn't want their children snared up. If they were thrown into jail, their children could be confiscated by the state and the state would provide the care for their children. We already see that. I've seen that for years. I've been in court many times trying to get parental rights back for the parents who lost them. And they don't understand how they lost them. So many different avenues of this, but it will all be revealed to those who change at least some of their thinking enough 
to start gathering together in a network of charity where you're caring about other people and their rights and their life and the life of their children as much as you care about your own. Today, billions, trillions of dollars are being taken from empty coffers, which is putting debt upon your children. And the process has been stepped up by people who have sold you out already. We see that. Some of us see it. Some of us refuse to see it. And and I'll talk a, a lot about some of those people and try to show you how they don't understand what they're even saying. They're, they're just speaking nonsense, but people believe them because the people that believe them are also sitting in darkness. So how do we bring the light into our own life? Well, we have to look at our life, what we are doing. It's not, this is why I say it's so important that you don't go around blaming the Democrats or blaming, you know, the Rothschilds or blaming the World Bank or the Federal Reserve. You know, I, I just, just moments before the show, somebody sent me something and I listened to a couple of minutes of it and, and they have this whole theory that, you know, the white hats and everything are going to save the day and everything. False hopes. What will save the day is unseen. But you can invite it into your heart now if you start caring about others as much as you care about yourself. And actively sacrifice however God leads you to do that. In your heart, in your mind, in reality. To care about others. You have to turn that care for others into a reality where you're walking according to the name of Christ. Christ did not come to be saved, but to save others. You can't gather together to be saved. You have to gather together to save others. You have to care about others as much as you care about yourself. And you in order even to begin that process, you have to be willing to do truth. As it says in, in, in John 3, verse 21. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. You know, we can, we can go back to the verse before that. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light. They can't come to the light. They can't have light come to them, lest his deeds should be reproved. And without that light, you have no protection against the cockroaches and the parasites and the evil that is coming. You want a wall of light between you and evil. And even a wall of light, you have to become a part of that wall of light for others. Christ was that wall of light. But he actually eventually laid down his whole life so that 
others might be saved. And that has to be the spirit that we come with, that we are even willing to do that. If we go back one more verse in John 3. And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world. What world? Constitutional order and system of Rome. You know, the Roman Empire. And even the Parth, the, the Empire of Parthia. And men loved darkness. That's why they wanted to kill Christ. Rather than the light. Because their deeds were evil. What deeds? The, the, the Greek word there is paneros, which we see in Revelation. Their deeds were evil. Because their deeds were covetous. Because their, their government institutions were the government, the institutions of idolatry. They were covetous deeds. They were desiring benefits at the expense of others. You know, go up to verse 17 and 18. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The the one who was the Logos incarnate who said that we should not covet our neighbor's goods, that we should love our neighbor, not take a bite out of our neighbor. Not, not seek the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors, but exercise authority one over the other. Because if you do that, you will go back into the bondage of Egypt. You won't own your labor. You won't own your land. You won't own your children. You know, redemption, this, this is the definition, written definition I quoted on our page on John. Three, redemption is the deliverance from the power of an alien dominion. That power is the power of choice. Where an alien dominion gets to decide what you're going to give, what you're going to keep, what you're going to have, what you're going to not have. So redemption is the deliverance from that power of an alien dominion and the enjoyment of the resulting freedom. It involves the idea of restoration to one who possesses a more fundamental right or interest. The best example of redemption in the Old Testament was the deliverance of the children from the bondage of Egypt, from the dominion of an alien power in Egypt. And, of course, Christ did the same thing. And it needs to be done again in our hearts and our minds. But we'll have to pursue this more on Keys of the Kingdom at a later time. Until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. 
You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.